everybody. Welcome back to Grey Malkin Lane, the podcast where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. My name is Chad Anderson. I'm your host. Last week, we were joined by Ben Rabb, and we reviewed X-Men number 31 called We Must Destroy the Cobalt Man. Uh, Angel finally got over Jean Grey and started dating his childhood sweetheart, Candy Southern. Cyclops and Jean Grey were paired together, although they're both still keeping their feelings silent because, you know, it's been five years. Why be in a rush now? Uh, Beast is still dating Vera Cantor. Iceman is still dating Zelda Kurtzberg. The X-Men are all paired off. Aw. Uh, Meanwhile, Professor X has been building something secret in the basement, keeping a big secret behind an oak door. Uh, It's uh, it's very ominous, and we'll get into that in today's issue. So today we're going to be reviewing X-Men number 32, which is called Beware the Juggernaut, My Son, which uh, is an old Lewis Carroll reference to the poem Beware the Jabberwock, My Son, if you guys know the Jabberwocky from the famous poem. Uh, This issue came out in May 1967. Uh, we are joined by a couple of really incredible cosplayers that I've been following online for a long time. And the wonderful uh, novelist, Kath Loria, is here with us today. So let me have you all introduce yourselves. Uh, we'll go Kath first. Let us know your gender pronouns. Uh, let us know what you're working on currently or where people can find you or what they would know you for. And then the question I have for everyone today, based on today's ridiculous issue, is if you had an item or a person from your life that you could keep locked up behind a big oak door in the basement, who or what would it be? Uh, Kath, do you want to start us off? Sure. Yeah, I'm Kath Loria, she, her, and uh, I've been writing short stories and novels through Aconite Press for uh, Arkham Horror and the Keyforge tabletop game and Marvel. And I've got an Elsa Bloodstone book out, and I will have a Black Cat novel out. Oh, you've got it! There it is. I love it. I'll have a Black Cat novel out March 1st of this year. Um, and don't forget <gasps> School of X. Oh, you've got it. Oh, a whole pile of them right here next to me. Oh. oh, I love them. I love seeing them in other people's hands. It's such a feel good moment. Um, I have one too, not School of X. I have the um Bloodstone. The Bloodstone one. Because you have taste and like <laughs> a sense of style. Oh, yes. I'm looking forward to the Black Cat one though, because that's one of my favorite characters. Oh, that's fantastic. I was so happy when I pitched her and they were like, Yes, please God, write a black cat novel. It's like, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. I yeah. love it. Oh, good. That's awesome. You would do have you ever cosplayed her? Because you would do a really great job. Oh my God. I do, I do black hat, yes. <laughs> oh, we've got to find pictures of this. That must be amazing. <sighs> Kath, what would you keep locked up behind a door? Um, my first interaction ever with a dead body. Ooh. Yeah, like literally a, like a body in the closet. It was, I was young. It was a grandparent's funeral. I didn't actually realize that this individual was deceased. They were in their coffin up there and I was just like running up and grabbing their hand and trying to shake them awake and let's play. And oh my God, I totally disrupted that funeral. So boy, gave me a bit of reputation in the family. So if I could just lock that away. Would it it be the memory of this you'd lock away or the actual body? It's such an embarrassing moment. Like, I mean, it's not that poor person's fault that I reacted so badly. So I guess just the memory. That's fair. Justin, <laughs> do you want to go next? Uh, my name's Justin. Uh, 
my day job aerospace engineer but uh weekends i love comics video games toys toy hunting toy hunting yeah. all that good stuff we like to go to cons cosplay every now and again and yeah that's pretty much it uh what would you keep locked behind an oak door oh that was a tough one um took a little while to think of this one but i would probably have to say my high school years <laughs> I was a nerdy little socially awkward kid and uh, didn't quite grow out of my shell until college. So I would definitely uh, say <laughs> Justin doesn't mean uh, Shang-Chi cosplay. That's just incredible. That's my Ooh, favorite oh, of Alex. Thank you. Uh, and Michelle. Hi, everyone. I'm Michelle. Waffle Otero, or I don't know if we need to have our last names in there, but mine is really yummy, so I like to like plug that. I use a she, her. I work at a collectible store, Dream World in Ventura. Uh, I love comics. I believe, like on our first date, we talked about how I'm like I like comics, I like video games. If that's gonna be an issue for you, you know, like let me know because some guys it is i mean i played a lot of video games um <laughs> i also love marvel the most if you can't tell I'm wearing a marvel sweatshirt <laughs> um i enjoy hanging out with justin we have two dogs two boston terriers those are our, our kids our girls and yeah just like going to cons comic book hunting uh toy hunting and just like general like nerd them <laughs> one so. of our dogs sorry <laughs> and what would you keep behind an oak door michelle so after reading this i can really understand wanting to lock a specific like family member away <laughs> i'm not gonna say who i would put there because they're they're part of the immediate family, but I, I totally, uh, I get that. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, my name is Chad Anderson. I use he, him pronouns. I am the host of Grandma Can Land, obviously, which if you're listening, you probably know that. Uh, I grew up uh, Mormon in a very bizarre religion and family uh, that told me that being gay was a terrible thing. So what I would choose to lock behind the door is all of the wasted years <laughs> in the closet. There are, uh, I live in Utah and there are local shirts that sometimes people who are ex-Mormon will wear that say, I'm sorry for what I said when I was Mormon. <laughs> and I, I would need one of those shirts. So sometimes, <laughs> sometimes that's what I choose. But I also have more than one family member that I might choose to, to lock up. Uh, uh, Professor X uh, uh, locks up his stepbrother juggernaut, which we'll see in this issue, and we can all kind of understand. Um, so to begin our podcast today, we're going to spend some time interviewing uh, uh, Kath about uh, her work. Uh, now, we've had a couple of, of, of different writers from Aconite Books on recently. We've had Tristan Palmgren and Robbie McNiven uh, and, and uh, Carrie Harris. And Kath, we are so thrilled to have you here with us as well. We, uh, we, we meaning I, got to read uh, your Elsa Bloodstone book, which is called The Quest, as well as your work in the uh, School of X anthology. So I wanna start with School of X, if that's okay. Uh, School of X is a collection of short stories about different X-Men characters based on the timeline when the schools were split up into the Jean Grey School for Higher Learning and the New Xavier School. And uh, Kathy, you took a character that I think, 
I am a huge X-Men nerd, but I often forget they exist. Uh, you took the character of Hijack, uh, who is a character who can't, well, let, let, actually, let me have you tell us uh, about Hijack. Oh, he's super fun. Uh, he basically has the power to allow him to control machines um, and it sort of comes upon him in his 30s, which I think is just fantastic. That's actually why I was interested in him, because it's like, I am about to leave my 30s behind. And not everything has to be focused on people who are in their teens and early 20s. And you can be cool at any age. So, yeah. right. And I just thought, oh, you should have seen my first pitch. They didn't accept it because I think it was a little too bitter. But it was like, here's this guy in this situation he's the only like adult student among all these young bright shiny things and and admittedly some of them are you know hundreds of years old but it just doesn't have the same impact when you're a modern guy in your 30s who has just manifested mutant powers and now you've got to go to school like how dare you <laughs> so i just i felt really kind of I don't know, his life decided to go in a whole different direction. It's sort of a, a point at which many people are like, oh my God, 30 doesn't exist. So that was why I chose to work with him. Uh, no, you, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh no, plus it's just a super cool power. I mean, you can do so much with that. Everything, you know, depending on your, your viewpoint, almost anything is a machine, so. The uh, the character hijack is from Brian Michael Bendis's uh, uh, run when they when the characters are all living up at the Weapon X facility primarily we haven't seen him much since then uh, and he's never been really a focal character or someone who's central to the story you wrote him as very surly and very like oh these teenagers are driving me crazy I gotta get <laughs> out of here uh, and he he uh, is out kind of street racing and is joined by another mutant who is relatively enigmatic to the books or, or lesser known named Cypher, not Doug Ramsey Cypher, but uh, Alyssa Tager Cypher. Tell us about uh, uh, Alyssa or, or why you chose this character. She's fun. She's got, I, so, I was introduced to her in, I think I first started reading about her in one of Carrie Harris's books. Um, and I just thought, wow, what a neat person, what a neat power, what a what a fun thing. Uh, and one of those like kind of nice and friendly characters who um, you kind of want to, you want to make them do something that takes them out of their comfort zone. And then I thought street racing would be fun for her. Plus she's got a power that I could directly apply to the plot I was trying to put together. So um, yeah, you know, you've got to, you your main character always has to have their foil. And in this case, it's, happy, young, earnest, what are you doing character, going up to surly, grumpy character, and grumpy character has to give in, so. It's, uh, she's the, she's the Jubilee to hijacks Wolverine. Exactly. <laughs> I was just thinking that, I'm like, oh, grumpy Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are great tropes, they work so well together. Kath, what is your relationship to the X-Men as a fan? Uh, what's your history with the, with the group? I read a lot of X-Men in high school and early college, um, mostly in high school when I could get my parents to buy me comic books. And then I got to college and I started having to buy them for myself and I didn't have a lot of money. And that weren't like, I couldn't find them online at that point either. And so um, I had subscriptions to Uncanny X-Men, I had subscriptions to X-Force, I had subscriptions, you know, I had all this stuff going and then I went to college and basically it was like, you can eat, 
or you can buy an X-Men comic. And so I <laughs> and I didn't get back into it until I started writing for Aconite, actually. So lucky me. Do you have a favorite uh, X-Men hero and villain? Oh boy. Good question. Hmm. The X-Men are just so big. And so I don't actually know if I've got a favorite when it comes to the big ones because they're they are really big. I'm hmm, like Carrie is a fantastic and you did an interview with Carrie and she's super cool. She's really deeply into the comics and she's got opinions on everything and she incorporates her knowledge into her books on a very deep level. Whereas I am more drawn to characters who I can get a handle on quickly so that I can figure out what to do with them, how I like them, where I might go with them. And that's the reason I ended up pitching Elsa Bloodstone. Like I didn't pitch Rogue, you know? I wasn't pitching a Dark Phoenix novel. I'm not pitching, uh, this is not, you know, one of the super well-known characters in the Marvel universe. It's Elsa Bloodstone and she's super cool. And I could also read almost all of her backstory in a couple of weeks. So, that was kind of important to me. So I don't actually know if I've got a fave when it comes to our our, our X-Men. I will say I've always had a soft spot for Cyclops. Don't ask me why, but I just do. Well, he looks great in his tights. <laughs> oh, he does though. Um, Justin and Michelle, same question. Do you have a favorite X-Men and villain? Well, I do have a favorite X-Men for sure. I'm obsessed with Jean Grey. Uh, I just love her, all her forms, all her, you know, Mar well, Marvel Girl's like, okay, I think I really liked her more when she became Phoenix, because she was a little more badass, and then she became Dark Phoenix, and it was just like, whoa, so not only is she like a great, like, X-Men hero, she's also a great X-Men villain, so she's kind of both for me. And, uh, and how about for you, Justin? Uh, let's see. I don't think I have one specific favorite. I've always leaned towards Archangel and Nightcrawler as my two favorites. Mm. I think just because they were the most, I don't know, visually different than everyone else beginning. And then um, Villain, ooh, that's a tough one. I don't think I've ever had a favorite Villain. Well, what about Archangel? He's also I mean, he's also kind of a... Of, this is true. You know, a hero villain. This is because he was working with Apocalypse. For a he was death for a while. Also, Justin's favorite perfectly like mimic his personalities too, because he's very serious sometimes, like Archangel, like you know, serious in heart. And then Nightcrawler is very aloof and like silly, and that's also Justin after like three beers. <laughs> <laughs> and they're both blue. <laughs> and they're both blue. And they're both blue. <laughs> so for those of you that may not be familiar with the character of Elsa Bloodstone, uh, I'll, I'll do a deep dive very briefly. In the 1950s, well, it's set in the time period of the 1950s. Marvel has a character named Ulysses Bloodstone, who is a monster hunter. He has a gem called the Bloodstone Gem that is it, like embedded into his skin that grants him very long life. And he hunts monsters and murders them, which in 2020 doesn't hold up in the same way as it did back in like the 50s, 60s, 70s. We were like, oh, sweet, go kill monsters, right? <laughs> but he's he's a classic Marvel character who in more recent years has been written as they do flashbacks because he's dead uh, as, as kind of a very, a very grumpy, mean 
uh, 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 cruel character in some ways. Uh, in recent years, there was a book called Next Wave uh, that had the character Boom Boom in it. Uh, Tabitha Smith is part of it. Uh, and they introduced the character of Elsa Bloodstone, who is a monster hunter, the daughter of Ulysses. And she is everything. Kath, tell us about Elsa Bloodstone uh, and what made you love her. So that, like, Next Wave is what started me loving her, but that actually wasn't her first appearance. She had her miniseries in the 90s, and she was Buffy. She was Buffy the Vampire Slayer with a British accent, basically. Um, it was just four issues, and it was very silly. Uh, and then they revamped her completely when they put her into Next Wave. You would not even recognize the character. Um, and she's snarky and British, and she fights in thigh high high heeled boots and she's got a duster and she's always got a weapon at her and she's just super fun one of those characters where you sit down to do the dialogue and you're like i just want to i just want to write a play because i'd like it to be all dialogue with a few stage notes that would be the perfect thing to write for her but you can't do that in a novel form so yeah she's she's great fun i, I forgot i forgot about her limited series it's been so long since i read that uh that's that's crazy now she uh she appears in a lot of different books in recent years in fact just this last week teeny howard released uh death of dr strange bloodstone book all about elsa which uh captures her wonderfully as your book does as well she swears and she hunts big monsters and she's super pragmatic and super uh sarcastic and uh also you know just wants to go home and sip tea like she's she's a lot of things mixed together uh in her like spiky heel boots and uh and uh trench coat with her giant guns um uh Kath your book is the quintessential Elsa Bloodstone story it has all of the things we want there are so many monsters and so many daddy issues and so many uh grumpy interactions uh tell us a little bit about the story you tell in your novel so when I was doing research for Elsa Bloodstone, naturally I had to do a lot of research into her dad, Ulysses Bloodstone, because he had a lot of long running comics. And I found out he had bases all over the world. Like you pick a continent and they're like, we're gonna put him here. We're gonna set him up here. He's gonna be able to go here. And I just thought, wow, what happened to them all? You know, why, why? And then I thought, well, I'll just, I'll do a world tour with Elsa and we'll send her all over the place and she can go on a quest and hunt monsters and, you know, discover secrets and it's gonna be great. And I sent that to my editor and she was like, great, why do we care? Why do we, this is just, you know, anybody can be a badass killing people around the globe. Why do we care that she's doing it? What is she looking for? Who is she trying to help? You know, is she really just the sociopath she appears to be sometimes? And so I was like, oh gosh, well, I guess I should give her something to root for. And so I made her a sister who happens to also be a monster. So um, I was lucky, I feel, that they let me make that character and, and stick her in there. So. Yeah, her sister is a half vampire who is intense. And the play between them is, do we trust each other? We're sisters, but also we're at odds. And there's a there's a lot of really incredible, it's, it's, if I'm saying her name right, it's Mahela Zamfer. Is that the correct pronunciation? Uh, really, really fun interchange between the two. Um, Elsa also has a brother in the comics named Cullen Bloodstone, who some people may recognize from Teeny Howard's Excalibur run. Uh, uh, Cullen's the one that is hunting the war wolves uh, when they when they go to his estate and and 
the little amazing baby werewolf uh, <laughs> or werewolf uh, comes out of that run with Colin, who's a gay character who's bonded with a, a monster. Uh, Colin's a lot of fun uh, as well. Uh, and then, Kath, you work in an X-Men villain uh, in your books. Uh, tell us who you chose to include. Maybe this could be your favorite X-Men villain. Wait a second. There are a number of villains in this book. Which one are you thinking of? I'm thinking specifically of Arcade. Oh, God, yes. Okay. Yeah. So Goofy Premise kind of deserves a goofy villain, right? I'm like, we're going to go on a tour around the world, killing things. It's going to be great. And then it was like, well, who is goofy enough to do that, um, to do that with them? It's not like I can use Dr. Doom, you know, someone <laughs> super serious and cool. I need somebody with just the right amount of intelligence and ridiculousness to throw into this. And he had a history with Cullen, which I thought was nice. So that's actually how I learned about him first. I was reading about the murder world and Cullen and doing the killing and all of that great stuff. And I was like, oh, this guy is perfect. He's just ridiculous enough to pull off this plot. Um, and so that was, that was really fun. Uh, picking the villain is always super fun. Arcade is a character who uh, builds giant pinball machines to try to murder superheroes inside of them. Uh, but later he turns that into more elaborate death traps. He's a, a, a master roboticist. Uh, he's just insane. He's like an evil version of the Riddler and the Riddler's already evil. Uh, Justin and Michelle, are you guys uh, uh, arcade fans? I honestly didn't know about him until pretty recently. I mean... I remember him from, I think, like, one episode of the animated series, maybe. Uh, but, and maybe, uh, I think he has something to do with the X-Babies as well. Or or is that Mojo? I might be getting Mojo. Mojo makes the X-Babies. I don't know if there's an arcade X-Babies story. That's yeah, possible. I think I'm getting confused. <laughs> I think that's uh, Arcade, the most, the most evil thing he's done, which which is what uh, which was what Kath just referenced, is he builds an island and kidnaps a bunch of teenage superheroes and like makes them battle to the death on it. And a lot of characters die. It's called Avengers Arena. Uh, it's it's a very scary kind of tragic book actually. And that's where Colin Bloodstone first appears. X two three is in that as well. Laura, who's Wolverine now. Um, so there's some interesting X Men connections. Arcade was also recently in Zeb Wells' Hellions Run. Uh, He's the guy torturing Mr. Sinister at the clone farm. If you guys remember that story, it's, it's hilarious. There's a, there's a page, uh, a couple of pages in Zeb's run where there's one of Arcade's employees writes a letter and is complaining about mistreatment in the workplace. And Arcade's like writing this long missive back about, you have to follow my orders, put this guy to death. Like, what do you think this is? <laughs> it's, it's very entertaining. Um, Kath, your, your work with Elsa Bloodstone captured her voice in a way that I hadn't expected. And as I was reading your book, like I said before, this is, this is the Elsa Bloodstone story. Like if you're going to have an Elsa Bloodstone story, this is the one, uh, it made me want like to see a series about her. Uh, I think she's, incredible. I think she'd be so much fun in a series and she's like everybody's series cameo. She's in everything. She hangs out with everybody. She hangs out with Wolverine. She hangs out with uh you know everybody who lives in new york oh my god you can find her there she hangs out with uh well she was recently in some deadpool mm -hmm. and she, she and deadpool had a romance actually because yes, oh. she's got to learn to discriminate <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, she also had a, a, a romance with Werewolf by Night, which is oh, I know. a terrible choice. <laughs> I, got, I know, I know. She just needs to, you know, she's just got to get her head straight. But um, but that's part of the fun is that she never will. She makes terrible decisions and it's just, it's delightful. Um, yeah, but she's done all these, I mean, she's worked with everybody. And she's not, not since that very original series has she had her own book. And I'm just dying for her to get that shot. So doesn't have to be me who writes it, but please somebody write it. But it should be you who writes it. But it would be fun if it was me. <laughs> oh, geez. God, that'd be cool. What can you tell us about your upcoming Black Cat book? It's awesome. Um, I say that, you know, I, that doesn't sound very humble at all. It really doesn't. And I apologize for that. But if you like the Elsa Bloodstone book, you will like the Black Cat book. I go into writing these books with the idea that they need to have that kind of comic book pacing and energy. It's not just action adventure. It's not just, you know, uh, I don't know. I'd really try to make it comic book intensive um, to have that feel, to have that kind of immediacy. And she's had a really great comic series recently that I have indulged in and it's mm -hmm. been fantastic and she's been so much fun and so that was my major inspiration for a lot of the book um plus oh my god she's just cool she's cool going back decades she's cool like just and she you know even when new like writers give her additional horrible motivations for being the way she is thanks a bunch uh you know she's always just so in control of herself and precise and cohesive. And she's, I wanted to write a queer character and she's bisexual. And I was like, fuck yeah. I mean, sorry. You <laughs> can like, okay, anyway, I was like, oh, holy shit, please. Yes. I specifically looked for a queer character to write my second time around. So I was like, ah, Elsa was great. God, can I please make her lesbian? they're like, nope, she is canonically straight. And I'm like, well, I'm going to find someone who's not canonically straight. I'm going to give her a girlfriend. Yeah. Um, which is delicious. Uh, and yeah, that recent Black Cat series was just stunning front to back. It was, it was oh. so great. Uh, are there other characters we should look forward to seeing in your Black Cat book that you're able to tell us? Yes. I think the reason I got the green light for Black Cat, so to speak, is because this year is the 60th anniversary of Spider-Man. So they wanted Spider-Man adjacent characters to help push Spider-Man. So he shows up, I got to do a cameo with him. Oh my God, they didn't let me do any cameos in the first book. And then the second book, I was like, I want everybody. I want Doctor Strange. I want Iron Man. I want, you know, Spider-Man. I want the Kingpin. I want all of these people and they're like take them take them all <laughs> so i put everybody in there danny rand is in there like i just shoehorn as many people as i can in there including elsa bloodstone and her sister so there's a so if you read one and you go on to read the other uh you'll get that little easter egg which i have now spilled but whatever uh, no, that's delicious. I, I think we, we mentioned for an Elsa Bloodstone book, you need lots of monster killing, you need dad issues, you need a big, crazy mystery that's kind of out of her hands. Uh, what makes a good Black Cat story? A heist. You've got to have a heist and a puzzle to solve. 
And this one, it starts at the Met Gala and goes from there. And it's just got all kinds of fun fights. And she was a really different character to write as a fighter because Elsa Bloodstone basically, I mean, that's what she does. She's an ass kicker. And the Black Cat is a little more deliberate in what she does. And she's also got that probability generator, which allows her to change you know, the fortunes of those around her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was super fun to work into the book. My husband actually told me that I need to write a fight scene between Black Cat and Domino so they can bad luck each other. And oh like, my gosh. right? Like yes. who, would bad, who would bad luck the baddest? I know. I feel like I, I love Black Cat, but I feel like Domino would kick her ass. Domino's that's well that's what she does right she's a mercenary yeah she's (laughs) have to not go into that fight expecting to fight she'd have to have another trick up her sleeve which is what I think she does really well is avoid fights by making other people do shit for her or yeah she gets a crew she's a heist girl she has a crew that's right that's right yeah do we get a do we get Bruno and Boris in your book too that's her supporting guest I love them They are. I was so sold on them. Yes. Yes. They are in it. They are in it. And I, I couldn't let them go. So. Delicious. I'm so excited to read. Uh, so Justin and Michelle, what questions do you guys have for Kath, if any? Oh man. I had like a whole bunch while you were talking. And I didn't want to interrupt. Um, do you think that Black Cat and Elsa Bloodstone could ever do like a team up because Black Cat's like a heisty girl and Elsa is like an adventurous, like monster killer. Do you think their paths could cross where it would make sense for them to team up? Oh, Michelle, you are like, (laughs) you're so close to, oh my God, I'm not allowed to talk about something. I will say that it does not involve Elsa Bloodstone. I wasn't able to sell that, but it is entirely possible that there is a team up of that sort coming our way. Okay. Okay. Because it's such a great idea. You are right. You are super right. I'm excited. I feel like Elsa and Felicia would not like each other, but they'd, respect, but, they'd, but they'd respect each other, I think. Like, I think they'd respect each other's game, but I, yeah, I, I think those are two characters that would just naturally butt heads. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Or they're like trying to get the same end game maybe, and they see each other as competition, but like, fr- like frenemies, like, okay, girl, I see you, see what you're doing, but I'm going to get there first. Yeah, in totally different styles too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's a a team up between uh, Jessica Jones and Elsa Bloodstone. That's just delicious in the Jessica Jones book, and those two get along. Like you can see it. Yeah. (laughs) They're like fucking monsters, fucking monsters, and they're just like killing everything inside. It's amazing. She honestly appealed to me because at the time I started pitching, I was more used to reading urban fantasy than I was to reading comic books. Um, and I was like, okay, oh, thank God. Finally, a fucking monster hunter. I can work with this. I can work with this. Please, good God. I don't want to have to read 30 years of back issues to understand <laughs> motivations. X-Men are so hard, guys. X-Men are so hard. Oh, There's a I lot of hurt. layers and, and continuity, yeah. Yeah, which is actually why reading this early, early issue was fascinating. It was like, I didn't even know they knew each other back then. (laughs) I have a question for Justin and Michelle. Thanks to COVID, are you guys cosplaying people who have masks as part of their costumes? Um, 
some sometimes I don't know. We typically just try to match the cosplay yeah. with the mask. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, like our latest one is the Eternals. Oh yeah, so we did Eternals. Um, Justin did Druig and I did Thena. So I had this like pretty like gold sparkly mask that I got in Vegas. Ooh. And it just it matched my costume so well. So I just I just went with that. Oh awesome. Yeah, oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah he just had basic black. He's like, well, Druig's a simple guy. <laughs> it works though. It works. I like it. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Yeah, we try to like coordinate. We try coordinate. to incorporate it into the cosplay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's a great time to be a Marvel fan. You hear people tossing around the names Druig and Thena, which are <laughs> such obscure characters in the comics in comparison. I, I think it's delicious. <laughs> well, I think that's a nice transition for us to start today's issue review. Uh, unless anybody else has any questions for Kath. Kath, when can we expect the Black Cat book to come out? Do you have a release date yet? March 1st. Okay. It's coming out March 1st. And if you guys give me your addresses, I will send you author copies. Oh, that'd be amazing. I get, oh my gosh. I get sent 10 copies of these books and I still have like five Elsa Bloodstones right here beside my desk. <laughs> so just, yeah, just get on Twitter and send me a good mailing address. And when I get them in, I will send you copies. That sounds okay. amazing. Thank you. That's oh pretty generous. God. I'm so excited. I just joined Twitter too. So I'm going to have to add you. Perfect. <laughs> I, uh, I I have really enjoyed every one of the Aconite books that I've read. Uh, Elsa Bloodstone was a delight. Uh, and then the whole School of X anthology was wonderful. I, I saw Hijack differently. Uh, it's a character that I'll relate to differently now. Thank you for the work you're doing. Uh, and I'm super excited for your Black Cat book. Thank you so much. I am excited for it too. I think she deserves all the recognition. Uh, so with that, let's take uh, let's take the time to open up our copies of X-Men number 32. Now, I'm going to give a little bit of context here very quickly. Stanley and Jack Kirby created the X-Men. Uh, they introduced a lot of different characters. Uh, one of the characters they introduced was the Juggernaut, who is revealed uh, in the earlier issues, and you can go back and listen to our episodes covering him, as the stepbrother of Charles Xavier, they grew up hating each other. We literally just did a four-hour episode on Gray Malkin Lane about the Juggernaut. If you want to go really deep dive into this very complicated, uh, nuanced character, uh, I had an understanding of him before that trial that's very different now. Uh, you can't spend that long with a character and not see them differently at the end. Um, Juggernaut in that issue, it's revealed that years ago, he uh, he was in the Korean War. He ran into a temple and touched the gem of Sidorak and became this you know avatar of rage. He was then buried in the temple and stayed there for years and years. Professor X just left him there. So the second Juggernaut escapes, he tromps across the country or the, the world and he tries to attack the X-Men. And in the end, they get his helmet off, they zap him and they turn him over to the police. So that's kind of where we've left him off. Now, Roy Thomas took over the book a while ago. We've been covering his run for a while. And he's been introducing a lot of new characters and a lot of characters from other books like Count Nefaria, from uh, the Avengers, etc., and in this issue, we get one of the big returns from one of the original X-Men villains. So it's, it's if you picture yourself as a reader back then, you haven't seen the Juggernaut in quite some time. It's been a few years. And so seeing him back on the cover is really scary because he came really close to defeating the X-Men last time. So as we open with this, uh, let's talk about our reactions to the cover of the book. If you guys have it in front of you, uh, we have Juggernaut gripping Beast in one hand. Kind of looks like he's holding his spine. He's got one of Angel's wings in the other hand, which is so scary. And then uh, Iceman, Cyclops, and Jean Grey are fainted on the ground. Uh, 
what are your thoughts on this cover? Does it grab your attention? What do you like about it? I like that it says like, oh, it's the juggernaut bitch. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that's what I get from it. He's like a scary potato on this cover. Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, Jean is not the typical one that's fainting here. Yeah, I mean, there's more than one person fainted, but Jean is pretty so, fainted. I mean, she fainted, but like Iceman is also pretty out and Cyclops looks like he's heading there and Beast may have passed out. I don't know. Jean is like so femininely posed, though. She's just <laughs> Absolutely. That's the best pose. Uh, Michelle, tell us about your your work with fainting Jean Grey. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so I cosplayed Jean Grey and we were at uh, LA Comic Con and one of our friends, Dylan, uh, Warpath Dylan, he's like, I have a Jean Grey cosplay. I'm going to put it on and we're going to faint. So we did. And then we had a phoenix there and then another Jean Grey cosplayer I think it was Teen Jean she was dressed as Teen Jean and so we had this epic like pile of jeans <laughs> painting and then someone posted it to reddit and one of the best captions I saw our first I think the main caption was a flock of Jean Greys in her natural element no. and then Right below that, there was a comment that said, <laughs> said inside of Sinister's closet. <laughs> <laughs> so it started off as like a joke and then it just kind of snowballed from there. Jean is infamous for fainting frequently during the 90s animated series. Like every episode she faints. Uh, so it's almost comical to see her fainted on the cover here. I mean, she does a little fainting in here too, so. Mm -hmm. Uh, Justin or Kath, any thoughts on the cover before we enter? It's only in retrospect, as I look at it, that I realize it gives away the ending, which from an authorial perspective is like a big no-no. Mm. But on the other hand, it's like, you look like, you, I don't I mean, comic books are different than, than book books, obviously, but you look at that and you go, oh, wow, okay, they, they're setting this up to be a really powerful character, but he's not actually going to knock out all of the X-Men. That's not going to happen. And then he does, you know? Almost. He takes himself out of there. So that that kind of perspective is, it's sort of interesting. It's like, this is not hyperbole. This is, this is what happens, basically. <laughs> A lot of people reading the 60s books for the first time are shocked by Migraine Professor X appearing over the logo. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I thought that was, he's always there, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Well, for for many issues, but yeah, oh, not always. Okay. But yeah, okay. Justin, are you a are you a Juggernaut fan? I am a Juggernaut fan. I just think he's one of those extremely like, I don't want to say goofy, but he's just like a ridiculous character. <laughs> I he's, think he's iconic. That like dome helmet and his like big big yeah. massive size. There's something yeah. amazing about him. <laughs> Would you ever cosplay the Juggernaut? I don't think I could ever stand up to that size. Of there, there, is a, there is a cosplayer, is a though, cosplayer who, who does the juggernaut and he is like perfection. Yeah. Like, Ooh. oh my gosh. He has a full like bodysuit that and goes stilts. over. Yeah. And stilts to make. Oh my just God. Incredible. He's, he's incredible. Yeah. Like, 
he does all the larger than life characters. He does Juggernaut and I think Hulk. Hulk. Red Hulk. Red Hulk. And there's maybe one other one that he does. And he's oh, he's superb. What's his name? I think it's like it's Humming H2, I think it is, right? Yeah, kind of like the like the H2, like Hummer. Like Humming H2. Yeah. We'll try to tag him in this. There's also that actor that played Juggernaut in the Deadpool film, if you guys remember. The the big yellow. Kind of, it's kind of I like, like, a, I like him. He's the one that even said, Oh, it's the juggernaut bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so as we as we open the book, we get to see the X-Men in the uh Coffee Agogo, which is their favorite hangout back then. It's kind of like their their you know friend's central perk place. They go hang out there all the time, little beaten it coffee shop. We get a recurring cast of characters there. Uh, Iceman's having his 18th birthday and his girlfriend, Zelda, who is his beard because he's closeted back then, uh, has made him a a delicious birthday cake. Uh, It's a really adorable little party attended by Scott and Jean, who appear to be kind of on their first date. We've got uh, Beast with his date, uh, Vera, and uh, it's a little surprise party for Bobby. It's a cute little opening as the shadow of the juggernaut hovers over the hovers Mm -hmm. over the building. Um, on the first couple pages of the book, uh, we get to see in, in the first panel on page two, uh, Zelda's cutting Bobby a piece of cake with his tongue hanging out just so. <laughs> it's so cute. And uh, Bernard the Poet, who is a lesser known mutant character, uh, he's a beatnik poet who can recite poetry and his power is basically to make people love his poems. Uh, he really wants a slice of cake and uh, they give him one. He ends up later reciting a 13 stanza uh, poem for them. I'm going to read the first stanza for you because that's all we get. Uh, a birthday's like a comely lass from shadowed night she does appear. Yet all the while, you know, alas, you'll, she'll only see you once a year. Uh, what do you think of this poem, Kath? Are you a fan? As someone who understands how tough poetry is because god forbid i ever write any poetry but i know people who who were into that i you know it rhymes it's cute i could say that to my child and she'd just you know ask me what comely means but she'd probably be able to follow it um (laughs) i think think it gets the point across like i'm not like he's not a great poet but he can rhyme and he knows it so Uh, we also get to see. Uh, <laughs> You're gonna like it regardless, right? That's, <laughs> right. That's, yeah. That's his only power. Although it may only work on the girls. <laughs> uh, we also get to see uh, Zelda inviting Bobby to dance. They go over to the band, who are reluctant to play anything that's not folk, but they do agree to play Miss Otis Regrets. Do you guys any of you know that song? It's a classic old song. Look it up. It's it's fantastic. Uh, a good old school '60s song. Um, Scott and Jean are dancing on the floor and they're still kind of thinking about each other. Does he love me? Do I, do, do, does she love me? And they're still pining. And at this point, I don't know, I'm reviewing all these books. I'm just impatient for them to finally kiss and <laughs> decide they like each other. It's exhausting. We have 30 issues of like, oh no. Oh. <laughs> Someone needs to shoot their shot. Like, just get it out there. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm always ad- advocating for anybody to shoot their shot. Like, you know, it doesn't have to be the guy approaching the girl all the time. Like, she, she can just say, Scott, I like you. You should be my boyfriend. And they come so close in this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're, like, actually together dancing in this one. It's, it's kind of a big step, actually. Yeah. Yeah. There's just too much thinking. Like, they're too much in their heads. 
Uh, we also get to see Vera yanking Beast out to the dance floor. Vera is my favorite from this original group of girls. I love her so much. Uh, and then Angel arrives with Candy Southern, uh, who he has just started dating. And she meets uh, all the gang for the first time. We talked about Candy a lot in the last episode. Uh, she's a frequent Marvel character who dies in a 90s issue of the X-Men in the Phalanx Covenant. Um, but she's with Angel for a long time and a lot of different books. Uh, uh, Michelle... Who has the best fashion uh, of the girls here at the table? Is it Jean, Vera, Zelda, or Candy? I'm gonna have to say Candy. I like her, um, I like that coat. It's very, very fancy. I'm looking at the coat right now. Yellow yeah. fur coat over a pink sweater. She's looking fabulous. Although the girl dancing behind Bernard, uh, I was gonna I say, I was looking at her too. I had to like not look at her. I'm like, oh, yeah, the I was drawn to as well. So I'm like, oh no, she's not part of the group. I uh, I kind of dig uh, Zelda's little striped yellow dress though. I think it's adorable. Cap, do you have a favorite look here? I just feel like everybody looks older than I expect them to. Right. Like, is this really a birthday party? <laughs> They're all wearing ties. <laughs> I know. This is so fancy. I'm like, is this a wedding? <laughs> I, exactly. This is like somebody's reception or someone. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's like a happy hour after be after work. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I didn't wear that to my 18th birthday. <laughs> Yeah. Every time the X-Men get a day off, they're all in suits and ties every time. I think it was uh, like a 60s Mad Men kind of thing. <laughs> um, my favorite moment on these first few pages is when Bernard wants the trumpet player to play a note for him. He says, <laughs> he says strike a joyous note, Seymour. And the trumpet player blows something and goes, uh, that'll do, lad. <laughs> <laughs> Which is delicious. It, it makes me happy. We also see the phrase uh, petite bourgeois used. Anybody know what that means? Petite bourgeois is a fancy way of saying lower middle class, which is kind of oh. funny. So someone refers to someone as petite bourgeois. Um, so we flash back to the X-Mansion and Professor X is locked away in the basement, which he has been for several issues in a row. He is just talking to himself about what a big deal this is. He's built something amazing. Uh, it, there's no turning back. He takes a key and opens this wood door that we've seen in multiple episodes. And, uh, and Justin, what do we find behind the oak door? The juggernaut. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Notice that Xavier immediately says, it's my evil stepbrother, Kane Marco. Not just my stepbrother, not my brother, but my evil stepbrother. Uh, Professor X is kind of an asshole in these early books. <laughs> yeah. I feel like he's still an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's changed. He uh, he gives a flashback to what happened in uh, in their past together uh, when Juggernaut got his powers, and uh, he is trying to cure him. Uh, he's gotten Juggernaut back from the police. He's been keeping him chained in the basement where Juggernaut has been in a coma for some time, and uh, he's going to try to take his powers away. Now Juggernaut's powers come from a mystical entity from another dimension called Sitarak who lives in a place called the Crimson Cosmos. So Professor X has had to do a lot of research to try to build this machine to cut off Juggernaut from the source of his mystical power. Uh, Kath, are you, uh, are you uh, familiar with the Juggernaut or his history at all? A little bit. More, like not really a lot of canon stuff. I've read way too much fan fiction to be relied on at this point for 
objectiveness when it comes to the juggernaut. So, so this is all kind of like, oh, that's what I, that was what it was, huh? Oh, big jewel. Okay. Yeah. There is a long trope of juggernaut is either defeated by having his helmet pulled off and they zap him with telepathy or they just banish him somewhere. He gets knocked into space or in another dimension or he gets like buried in cement or something. Uh, these After this appearance and the next one, he basically spends the next 15 years lost in like other dimensions. Like he comes back to earth for a day and then they zap him away again. Uh, like the poor guy, this he's in a coma here. Like he's, he just wants to go home, leave him alone. <laughs> there seem to be a number of anti-telepath helmets out there. Like. That's a, yeah, where do you buy these? Amazon? I know, right? That's a design everybody should get behind. Magneto yeah. must be mass producing them. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Michelle, will you take over when we get back to the coffee shop? What happens next? So at the coffee shop, oh, we see, is it Bernard? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Bernard, he's coming over with that swanky go-go dancer with the fishnets. <laughs> she must have liked the poetry. And then uh, I think Zelda's like, oh my gosh, that's so amazing. Didn't it snap, Bobby? I think that's what she says. Doesn't it snap? The like, lingo they use is... The is lingo <laughs> is very, uh, I guess, hip for the time. Except for Beast, I feel like he's like the old man of the group, the way he talks. Like he's talking, everyone's talking hip, and then Beast is trying to be all like extra. Yeah, he really um, is. But he yeah. didn't need five syllable word right there. I know. We got, uh, we got the word obstreperous used casually yeah. here. They actually uh, use, they have a joke in there. It's like, does, does Hank know small or large words? <laughs> Yeah, he's very like hoity-toity. He kind of reminds me of the animated series Beast, but like more, what is that word? Like, um, starts with a P. Oh my gosh. Pompous. Pompous, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people forget that Beast even had a human form. Like, we're so used to him being blue and furry. It's almost funny to look yeah. back and see him human. That was yeah, new was to me. Yeah. He's still ripped, though. Like, he's still pretty buff. Mm -hmm. um, he's, he's he's thick as we like to say <laughs> oh thick with two C's exactly yes so Beast, oh. hears, Beast hears a loud noise from outside and what happens so then I think Cyclops is like oh my gosh it sounds like a bunch of racing motors but why and then he says oh, holy Hannah <laughs> <laughs> holy Hannah and then Jean's like, oh my gosh, they're coming through the window. And then like this motorcycle gang just comes crashing through. There's this big old like crash with a, with a K. And there's like five guys on motorcycles. What is, sorry, I'm reading this on my phone and it's very tiny. Oh, you're okay. Uh, so it's a motorcycle gang called the Satan, Satan Saints. Uh, the leader uh, of them is Rocky Rhodes. Oh my God. There's the cubes. Yes. Oh, I love that they're like Satan saints. Like, isn't that kind of an oxymoron? Uh -huh. Like, doesn't that kind of cancel out? Well, they're just ridiculous in general. Like the, the I... banter they're having with each other while okay. they're getting beat. Yeah, this this yeah. whole thing. Let me. I'm gonna zoom in so I can do it. Uh, let's see, because it's ridiculous. it's ridiculous. This is one of those things I wouldn't really be able to 
to like get put into a book because my editor would be like, okay, how'd they get the motorcycles up to the window? <laughs> yeah, all five of them get their motorcycles up to the window. Is they there had, like, a ramp up there? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did they jump on? They had a pocket ramp. <laughs> <laughs> and then one guy, he goes, dig the chickens and their chicks. They're too shook even to split. <laughs> then let's show them where it's at, Rock. We're with you. <laughs> and they're doing like circles around the table with everybody um, who's been eating cake. And then, oh, this. And then Cyclops says, Zelda, just who are these refugees from an old Brando movie? And they're a rat pack called Satan St. Scott. Their top dog is a beardnik called Rocky Rhodes. <laughs> and the reason I they're so. A... Oh, yeah, go ahead. Then, she, then Zelda says, I turned down a date with him last week, and he isn't exactly a good loser. And all is, this a, ladies. is this a good way to get the attention of a girl who has rebuffed you? Just attack her coffee shop with an entire <laughs> group of motorcyclists. Of motorcycle. He's like, look, girl, I roll with the gang gang. You know what I'm saying? Like, check me out. I'll teach yeah. you to say no to me. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, Justin, is that how you got? Is that how you got your first date with Michelle? No, <laughs> <laughs> she's the one who asked me. I asked Justin. <laughs> I shot my shot. I wasn't gonna be a Jean Grey, just like, like thinking about it in my head. I'm just like, I saw it. I want it. I got it. That's how will, I got he, will he ever notice me? Oh, will you notice me? Notice me. Um, so these guys are running circles around the the group. Uh, let's see. There's some people in the background that they're not doing anything. And then Beast, I think he like, I think this is meant to say that he's quietly like whispering to him because it's in dash marks. <laughs> like, I vote we take some precipitate action, Warren. And then he goes, easy, Hank. Remember, we don't want anybody to suspect that we have mutant powers. Because that oh. would totally make them suspect. Yes. Mm. I mean, Angel's done all of the trouble to like fold his wings up under his jacket and strap him down. You don't <laughs> want to spoil your secret identity after all that. Yeah. After. Yeah. I know. He can like get away with it. He can just be like, I work out. <laughs> you know, Angel's going to be like, so I have these wings. <laughs> I can fly. <laughs> I can fly. <laughs> So the X-Men can't reveal they have mutant powers. How do they uh, how do they get rid of the motorcycle gang? So I believe Scott like whispers to Bobby. And I think Bobby, he creates like this like slippery surface, like this ice floor. And then the guys start to slide around a little bit. And so I, then he says, what gives my hogs on the skids? <laughs> and then he goes, hey, Saints, the rocks run into stormy weather. <laughs> and, and there's a they splat into the wall yeah splat and he's like he's down for the count them college types did it somehow like they can't figure it out they're like what happened take off the gloves cats it's time to start playing rough <laughs> and then it looks like bobby and um scott start it's, uh, yeah War warren and scott warren. oh yeah oh my bad Sorry, I can't tell them apart. 
Oh, you're okay. They all just have different hair colors. That's the only way. To yeah, do it. unless it unless it's like beads. It's like the suit color. I yeah. Think. yeah. Is it the suit color? Sorry, my bad. So Warren and Scott team up, and on the counter, there's always like a guy coming like straight towards them, and there's a table behind them. So they're like, okay. Uh, as soon as this guy comes, we're just gonna lift the table up, and then the guy just uses that as a ramp, and he goes flying. Which is, which is so ridiculous. Cool. His legs are like <laughs> kicked out to the side. It's so it's so stupid. <laughs> I don't really. Would that work, Justin? Like, no, probably no, not. Probably the wouldn't table, even get up the table. Yeah, the table. I was actually <laughs> just gonna ask you, Justin. I'm like, look at the tablecloth. Like, wouldn't that be right. a friction problem? And yeah. Justin, can you explain to us friction. why this won't work? <laughs> a table is smooth and little. <laughs> You just can't get the grip. Aww. As the resident engineer in the room, we'll be turning to you for all of our expertise. That's right. You're going to talk to us about, about all the stairways and slippery ice oh later. Oh my gosh. Oh, and then he's, I think Warren said, it's all over now, baby blue. Give our regards to the stars, will ya? And then he just, yep, split spread eagle going, going up. He says, now I under, or Scott says, now I understand why you clowns rev up those cycles so loud. It's to cover up the fact that you can't think of anything original to say. And he's just going, no. Roy Thomas is having a lot of fun with this dialogue, which is which is <laughs> delicious. Oh, yeah, dialogue is crazy. <laughs> for, for our long-term listeners, this is the most insane antiky battle since they faced uh, Porter Mac and his boys from the Dude Ranch. <laughs> Which, if you go back and listen, we make fun of them a lot. They fight these cowboys in a random issue, and it's ridiculous. <laughs> I bet the uh, slang there is even better. Jean Grey gets one signature move here. What happens? Oh, so let's see. Jean says, A small amount of telekinesis ought to take care of those two at one time. So there's two guys coming towards her. And then she says, Best of all, they'll never know what hit them. And I think she. Gets them. Oh, so she makes one of the guys. There's two guys coming towards her. One of the guys, she puts his helmet over his eyes so he can't see. And so they start running into each other. And one guy's like, "Cool it, man! You're right in my orbit." <clears throat> in the in the early issues, Jean's signature move was to pick someone up and just spin them around in the air. But for the last <laughs> several issues, she just over and over just keeps pulling people's hats or capes over their eyes. It just keeps happening over and over again. It's like all she knows how to do. It's your new signature. She's move. <laughs> still learning. She's still learning. <laughs> all right, how how many years has she been at the school at this point? I mean, it's five, been a couple. Five. <laughs> uh what is oh the other guy says you cool it oh red bones flying blind so that guy's name is red bones so we got rocky roads <laughs> and red bone these are good motorcycle gang names yeah and then they they crash into each other and they said oh those creeps gotta be leaning leading charmed lives and they say uh maybe we ought to ask them where they buy their rabbit's feet <laughs> what i say when i'm in a motorcycle crash i know right like yo how you so lucky bro <laughs> <laughs> oh and then and then there's one last one taken out by beast what happens uh so there's the fifth member of the quarrelsome quintet oops i went ahead sorry has come to a relatively predictable decision 
And then so there's Beast, and he's like trying to block the way this guy coming right at him. And he says, like, this is a bad scene, man. I'm cutting out. So this guy's trying to escape. He's like, look, I saw what happened to my homies. Not going to happen to me. I'm out. And Beast is like, mm, I'm not unequivocally certain that I comprehend your vernacular, my fast riding friend. So he's... <laughs> Beast and his big words. <laughs> yeah, Beast and his big words. So then Beast like grabs the, I don't know if it's the ceiling or like maybe the part. like a doorstop or something. Yeah. Or... And so he like grabs it and he swings up his legs and he kicks this guy off his bike. So the bike goes out from under him and the guy goes back and B says, perhaps you'll tarry a while and translate for me. And then he thinks to himself, the girls aren't accustomed to seeing Henry P. McCoy perform such stunts, but I have a hunch they'll put it down to adrenaline. Anybody know uh, Hank McCoy's middle name? What's the P for? Any guesses? Pompous. <laughs> <laughs> is it British inspired? It is. A, it's a. It's a male first name. It. It's uh, Henry Philip McCoy. Oh, that would have been my first guess. Okay, I was thinking Peter, and I'm like, no, there's too many Peters in the Marvel universe. It has to be something else. <laughs> yeah, Henry right. Philip McCoy. Oh. Uh, now, I want you to realize in this next panel, we get to see them end their date. In the entire first 66 run, 66 issue run of the original X-Men, this is the only time they ever finish a date. They're every every issue when they're out with the girls, they get interrupted. They have to rush away for some sort of battle. Because, right, like, they set up the scene, they're on a date, and then it's like, oh, no, we got to go fight somebody. This is the only time in all 66 issues where the date is finished without <laughs> being interrupted. But they still had to fight <laughs> motorcyclists to get there. Uh, in, in that final panel with our parting ways, Michelle, anything stand out to you? Um, I think, okay, so definitely, like, Hank is looking really, like, ooh, yeah, girl, like, I just saved you, and <laughs> Vera, I suppose you're wondering how I acquired such imitable agility, eh? And she's like, not at all, I assumed you've been watching old Tarzan movies on TV again. He's like, so my secret is disclosed. So like, he's all proud of himself. So he's done this before, or at least he yeah. said he's done this before. It's like, oh, you Tarzan fiend. Yeah, look at that showing off. He's stunting. He's a he's a he's a beast in battle and a beast in bed. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, uh, Justin and Kath, did you guys have any favorite moments from this motorcycle fight? The whole thing is just nonsense and ridiculous. And it's my favorite thing about 60s comics. It's just these antics. I like the very end when it's like, here's the guy trying to escape the situation. And it's like, nope, there's no escape for you, bad guy number five. It's just one of those, it's one of those, like, you can't let a single bad guy still be standing at the end of the fight scene. Everybody's got to be passed out on the ground. Uh, Justin, did you have a favorite moment? Oh, no, the whole thing was just so ridiculous. Just the banter <laughs> and the ridiculousness of motorcycles in a cafe. <laughs> all all five of the guys in Satan Saints, if you didn't notice, had matching goggles. They all have, like, green Jubilee goggles on. Oh, <laughs> I, I did not notice that. And then the logo on the back of their jackets is, like, the devil head says Satan Saints, <laughs> and then there's a halo over it. It's yeah, I oh. noticed that. <laughs> Oh, they're all gay. They just wanted to match. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, 
guys. We're a gang gang. Let's match. Let's get <laughs> the girl turned me down. I got to, you know, protect my masculinity. That definitely calls for a cape. <laughs> well, luckily they have one right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so we jump back to the X mansion. Professor X has built this giant ass chair with a couple helmets. It looks like they're getting ready to go to the beauty salon. Like you're getting your perm, right? They're putting the little helm. Like what, what are those things called? Like a, uh, the, the perm hats with the blow dryers on them, you know what I mean? That's exactly what they are. They're like they're like heat heat dryers. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've never used one. Uh the the machine he built is called an Energo Transformer. And it's meant to block the access from Sidorak to Juggernaut. Now there's a mysterious group that Roy Thomas has been doing a very slow burn on. Uh, It's called Factor Three. We don't know much about them, but they keep hiring agents to come after the X-Men. We're not gonna learn who they are for a while still, but Factor Three interferes with this process from afar. They're monitoring events in the X-Mansion and they zap it. And not only does it stop uh, Professor X from completing blocking Juggernaut's powers, it knocks Professor X unconscious and it transfers Professor X's telepathy to Juggernaut, who now has Professor X's mind powers, which is just fucking weird, because <laughs> that's not how science works, wow. even in a mutant universe. Uh, this uh, this interchange with, there's a close-up of Professor X, like, just dripping sweat as the machine slowly, <laughs> slowly malfunctions. Uh, it's, it's just insane. And then Juggernaut wakes up. He immediately grabs his helmet, puts it back on, and is like, I'm going to destroy the X-Men, as he realizes he's now telepathic which is pretty scary he was already pretty strong uh what did you guys think of this uh this this scene with juggernaut and professor x here well i mean i just i don't really like realistically see how juggernaut can be a telepath and then like the first thing he wants to do is like i'm gonna destroy the x-men it's like why don't you use that and like i don't know do something else I don't, I don't know. I just think it's, I think it's kind of weird. He, uh, he does have like this rage demon inside him, right? So he immediately is up to destroy, but he never kills anybody. You read these early appearances and he wants to destroy everything, but he doesn't ever kill anyone. He just knocks them out or smashes the building down. Does he say he wants to kill them or just? I mean, yeah. Kind of alludes to it. I mean, destroy and kill are very like, like destroy, you could destroy somebody like emotionally. Yeah, but you could just bury them under the building. But he didn't want to kill them. <laughs> he just wanted to bury them. He's a big talker. He's a big talker. Oh, he's a he talker. He doesn't finish okay. things with a professor either. He's got like this chance. There he is. He's unconscious. Yeah. As death. But you don't do the check. Like you're not going to take his pulse or. Yeah. Stuff in his like, head. Like, no, he's dead. He's, he's out. <laughs> <laughs> I've got his mental powers. He's good for nothing. I can't read his mind, so he must be out. <laughs> so we flash back to Bobby ending his date with Zelda, and uh, Bobby gets his first kiss, which is so Aww. cute and so sad because we know he's gay now, right? Now, we have to keep in mind, and I keep reminding listeners, there there is a storyline far in the future where teenage Bobby comes to the future he comes out as gay, he has a boyfriend, and then he goes back and loses all his memories. So now he's turning 18, he's forgotten he was ever out, and he's kissing this sweetheart, Zelda Kurtzberg. Uh, have you guys ever had a first kiss with someone where it just was not, you're just not into it? That's what that looks like. Yeah, yeah look, that's 
his face. That's his. He doesn't look like he likes it a lot. She. He looks. He looks happier to go running off to Hank. He's like, Hank, my man. Yeah. <laughs> She's Amazing. smiling and he's miserable. Like he looks so. Yeah. Mm. yeah. He's just there. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking I think Bobby as. Bobby has a crush on Hank. Speak, Bobby has a crush on Angel. That's like that's oh, canon. We know okay. he's just he lusts after. Everybody Angel likes members. Angel though. He's like pretty. <laughs> pretty and rich. Uh, um, <laughs> that too. Speaking, I mean. speaking as an out gay man who once had a first kiss with a girl, there was just this. There was like this part of me that thought, if I can actually kiss a girl, then like that will confirm that I'm straight. Like I can find it. Like that's what's going to change me. And after that first experience, I was like, oh, fuck. Like, that was not, like, she's such a nice person and it just is not what I am looking for. And there was nothing there. And I had to be like, that was really nice. Thank you. And uh, Bobby, like, comes running out and he's like, beast, I did it. I kissed someone. (laughs) He's so proud of himself. But, like, it didn't work. And Bobby has, like, eight girlfriends after this in the the following decades before he finally comes out. Like, the poor thing. Oh. Uh, uh, Kathy, uh, Kathy, did you have any thoughts on this uh, interaction with Bobby and Zelda? Oh, just that, I guess, if you look at it from, hey, I'm reading this for the first time in the 1960s, maybe it's sort of like, oh, yay, his first little bit of sweetness. But with the benefit of hindsight, it's like, oh, you were taking, this is the step down the, the path of misery for you, son. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, Aww. sorry, Zelda. Zelda. You mean nothing. She should have went out with the motorcycle guy. I know. <laughs> you know, he was um, he was all about the big, the big flashy commitments. Yeah. yeah. He's like, girl, thanks. This was great, but you should call Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> Rocky Rhodes. He'll bust up your he'll bust up the coffee shop to get your attention. Yeah. Um, we then flash back to Angel, who has come upstairs with Candy, probably thinking he's going to get laid. But she just asks him to leave and reminds him that she has another date tomorrow. Uh, and, uh, you know, she's playing it real smooth. Uh, as Angel leaves, he thinks, you know, I really like her. Uh, this will help me. Uh, but I don't want her to I don't want her to just be a rebound from Gene because he's been pining after Gene for so long. Did he uh, Gene or did he just pine? He worked real hard to get Jean to like him and she was just never into him. So over issues and issues, he keeps grabbing her. He'll pick her up, fly around. Hey, Jean, come for a ride in my fancy car. Like he can't understand why she doesn't like him. Uh, So he's finally moving on. Uh, uh, Justin, as the straight man in the room, uh, (laughs) what what were your thoughts on this scene? Well, he takes the hint and he's like, well, okay, I guess it's uh, time to mosey along. (laughs) And you're I'm kind of like good for Candy. Now we're not going to see Candy a- again in the original run. She shows up uh, uh, in a lot of Angel stories in the future, but we we have another thirty issues in the original run, and she doesn't come back. So she says, "I'm dating somebody else. See you later." And we're not going to see her again for a long time. You know, so, good for her though. Like yeah. play the field. If if Warren doesn't know what he wants, and she does, she's like, "Well, if you don't know, I got this other guy lined up, and I'm going to go explore that and see how that is." I like that. That's a power move. <laughs> yes, I like she's, candy. She's giving me like old sitcom vibes, like from like that girl or like Mary Tyler Moore. She's like the independent woman in the sixties. I, I like her a lot. Uh, Catherine, are you familiar with Candy Southern at all? No, no, I'm not. This was my first introduction to her, but I do like that she almost makes him cry. 
Mm -hmm. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> Calling your mother hen. It's like, yeah, you assuage yourself, mister. You, you say whatever you need to say to feel better about yourself. <laughs> the curb. Also, like you're 18. So maybe this is kind of, you know, you're going, she's got her own pad. Like how high are you reaching? Maybe you should simmer down now and just, yeah. you know, go back to your car. Yes, yes. Yeah. She's got her money. Exactly. She doesn't need that. She's like, Angel, I don't need your money. You know, I got my, I do my own thing. Miss Independent over here. Well, and in the last issue, she talks about how she left home and she moved to the city and she's got a job at the UN and she's just taking care of herself. Like she's got this whole independent that. life away from her. She's a boss bitch. Yeah. I like her a lot. Uh, in fact, Zelda, Vera, and Candy, all three of them, I think are, are just fucking great. They're, they're delicious. Now, we also get a really profound moment between Scott and Jean as they are strolling, kind of thinking about each other. And Scott, who is very emotionally repressed and frankly, maybe even a little autistic we've talked about. He's very, very stunted. Uh, he opens up to Jean, which is a big deal. So let me read this out loud. He says, Jean, you and the others must have wondered sometimes why I'm rather aloof, sort of a loner. Maybe I'm just making excuses for myself, but I've always thought that my deadly eyes set me apart in a world of my own. Since I feel I'm a potential threat to anyone I meet, anyone I know, I've always tried to keep every, everybody at arm's length. And she says, I suppose, I've always suspected as much. Still, you mustn't feel uh, you're so totally alone. There are other people in the world, Scott, and some of them do care. Uh, he says, thanks, Jean. I just had to get it off my chest to try to find someone who understands. She says, I do understand, Scott, believe me. And uh, she is immediately wondering, do you actually like me or are you only looking for my pity? Uh, I need to know how you feel and soon. This is like a little heartbreaking little Cyclops scene here. What did you guys think about this interaction? Uh, Justin, let's hear from you first. <laughs> this was me in high school. <laughs> how so? Socially awkward. Like I never knew. I always had it in my head like, oh, am I doing the right thing? Does she like me? I don't know. I don't want to tell her I like her because it'll probably turn it off. <laughs> This is why you just got to take the lead. You got to be like, I like it. I want it. I got it. <laughs> uh, Kath, did you have any thoughts here? I thought it was kind of sweet. It was, we've been doing, I don't know. It's it's probably the most intimate moment in the book so far in the comic book. Because you had those early moments with Professor X speaking the past aloud. But none of that was really... That was like, oh, danger and terrible. And this is how this guy ended up in my basement. But this is like, I am going to be emotionally vulnerable with you. And we're not in a coffee shop and I'm not drinking anything and we're alone together. I thought that was sweet. Yeah. We got a we got an issue a couple a couple of issues back where Cyclops goes off into the woods and he's like, I'm tired of being repressed. And he like rips his glasses off and thinks maybe he can control his beams, but it just shoots off this giant laser and like causes a landslide. And he's like, oh, I don't, I can't control myself. It's like really heartbreaking. So for him to open up to Gene is actually kind of a big deal. It's it's really endearing, actually. This is one of my favorite Cyclops scenes we've had uh, in the whole original run. Um, Justin, starting on page 13, tell us what happens when the X-Men get back to the mansion. All right, so they get back to the mansion and Juggernaut's sitting there waiting. Looks like he's going to try and jump him. He's hiding out in the basement. Uh, Angel comes in and he's looking around. He doesn't know where anybody is, so... It's kind of funny. He just starts flying through all the rooms. <laughs> like, I don't know how you can flap your wings through the doorway, but all right. <laughs> it's got zooming in. And then all of a sudden he gets attacked by something. 
and it turns out to be beast. (laughs) How do you guys not know? (laughs) Turn on a light. (laughs) But then they they keep going and they finally do turn the lights on and like, oh, we got to stop fighting each other. (laughs) We got to find the professor. We get a specific reference on this page too to X-Men 17 when almost the same plot line, Magneto's invaded the mansion, the X-Men all come back, the lights are off and Magneto like sneak attacks them from around the corners and Angel's like, oh, this reminds me of that time Magneto was here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But Jesse, keep going. So they get there and they're all, they they said they had to, they felt better getting all costumed up ready to take (laughs) out whatever's coming. (laughs) So then they start looking around, the Cerebro goes off and they can't tell why these they say it's the, an evil mutant nearby but then when they go to check cerebro it says it's them and they don't know what it means so they're trying to figure it out and then all of a sudden the mansion starts rumbling and it looks like cerebro falls over on them or just misses them and then and then they start joking i guess that it's, it's not going to help them locate anyone for a while <laughs> Cerebro literally crashes crashes, like the most expensive machine they have. And they're like, oh, I guess it's not going to work for a while. Well, and its danger setting is to give off like this piercing scream. Couldn't they turn it to like a pleasant ringtone? Like dangerous, but it's like, (laughs) like, there it is. Like the fire alarms you can get now, they're like, fire, fire. Yeah, right. (laughs) A little more pleasant. Yeah. The okay, X-Men no. realize the only place they haven't looked is in the basement. What happens when they go downstairs? So they go down and they start looking around and uh, their stairs turn into a ramp and they fall down onto each other. <laughs> and Angel and Jean are like, oh, let's go find out what it is. And everyone's like, no, we probably should stay together. But Angel goes off and he's like, no, I'm going to go figure it out. <laughs> and Juggernaut just comes out of nowhere and throws a bunch of crates at him. <laughs> And he gets knocked out. So that kind of starts off the whole thing where they're they're gonna try to attack him and he just takes them out one by one. They they determine that Professor X must have put these stairs that change into a ramp as like a protective device in the basement. What possible reason would he have this installed? That is the funniest line to me, like in this book. It's like, oh, it's a protective device. I'm like, you are gonna get sued. You're gonna get sued out of you. For fuck, like that is just, you know. Yeah, that's like good thing that's not a working environment because right <laughs> there would be so many workmen's comp claims. You got a slippery ramp. Don't worry, it's here to protect you. We It'll are accustomed. You. Oh, I'm sorry, Justin. Go ahead. I said the ramp will save you from whatever enemy's coming <laughs> somehow. <laughs> We're also accustomed to Jean Grey being surrounded by like pink telekinetic energy, right? And in this, it just looks like little dots coming out of her head. Michelle, what did you think of her power signature? Um, it was kind of weird. At first, I wasn't sure what she was doing. I'm like, is she mentally pouring something onto him? Like, it looks like, like liquid. Um, I didn't realize like that was an indication that she's focusing her telekinesis on trying to unscrew the screws on his helmet. Mm-hmm. I was, I wasn't sure what was happening there. Because I'm yeah, used to the pink stuff too. Well, even as she's falling down the stairs or falling down the ramp, there's like the little energy tendrils out of her head. And you're like, wait, what is that? Uh, she almost yeah. looks like exaggerated tears, like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or like she's bouncing off the surface, like she's like, I'm out of here. Do you like this Jean Grey costume, Michelle? I do not. 
her I mean, infamous... it's not the worst one. It's not the worst, but it's not the best. What's uh, what's her worst one? Uh, I think it's like a version of this, and but she's got like a skull cap, and like then her hair is kind of sticking out. They do it a little bit in X Factor as well. Yeah, we not we, we call that her poodle ears cowl in this because her hair is pulled back and it looks like dog ears coming out the sides. I hate it. Yeah, it just it's just not flattering. I mean, maybe if she had short hair, it would work because then she would kind of match. Like she'd look a little more uniform with the guys, but I think with the long hair like coming out, it just reminds me of like a weird like superhero mullet like mm -hmm. i don't know it's just it's not attractive i'm not into it <laughs> uh kath will you take over on page 17 tell us what happens with the battle with juggernaut and let me know back then juggernaut had like a force field around him that he could extend like nothing could touch him this is not something we see him use often now okay so we've got angel flying through the murky blackness toward a stack of crates, which he saw something move behind. So if it was our mysterious attacker, maybe I can move quickly enough to take him by surprise. But I feel like it's a bit of a reach um, since they all just fell down a ramp and <laughs> their mysterious attacker probably knows exactly where they are. And then sure enough, whack, bam, thwack, he gets a bunch of boxes flying straight into him, which he expresses for us. And then the juggernaut is behind them. And he says, you're finished, Dolt. And I'm like, you're right, he is. Did you think a pair of wings at all is all that it takes to defeat the juggernaut? And it's like, well, all it takes to defeat Angel in this particular scene is a crate. A green box. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then there's the bottom panel, which is where they're all like, oh, it's the awesome apparition appearing in the dim light as the astonished X-Men behold. And may I just say, all of the alliteration and the assonance that he's got going in these sentences, it's an awesome apparition appearing. Uh, it's the juggernaut, dun dun dun. He was turned over to the authorities because those are super effective all the time. Uh, and then Bobby's like, no, if it's not him, then it's the ugliest mirage I've ever seen. And then Angel is unconscious. And they're like, where's Professor X? Uh, soon you shall all be united in death. He's like, death, you can't mean. So they think Professor X is dead. And Juggernaut's like, don't you worry your pretty little heads. Time for vengeance. It's vengeance time. <laughs> Let's get some vengeance. <laughs> and he it's dies. Like and he proceeds to get himself some vengeance. So <laughs> next page. We all, and this is actually interesting. You sort of see the tactics that they used earlier used against them by the juggernaut. You've got mm -hmm. Bobby sliding around on the ice. You've got uh, the beast attacking with all due celerity, which, come on, dude. And then uh, I had to look that up. Celerity means swiftness for those that want to know. Isn't that pretty? Yes. Um, and so the beast and Bobby are about to attack him at the same time and then you've got Jean using her mental tears to, <laughs> unscrew, <laughs> to unscrew the helmet she's like I'm gonna loosen them you'll be able to take the helmet off just like last time uh and then down at the bottom none of this works um the juggernaut's like all right well I'm just gonna run you guys into each other well bam which he does beast and iceman uh don't realize that he's gained Xavier's mental powers and he knows every move they intend to make. And so he 
uh, mashes them together. And then Jean's like, oh no, he got Hank and Bobby. Is there no way to stop him? And Cyclops is like, there must be. We have to find it or die trying. Uh, and then there's some more threats. People are lying on the ground. Jean is not the first one to go down. She might be the last. Not the first. She's not the last one. She's a last, last, last woman, woman standing. standing. There you go. No matter if she's the only woman, she is the last person. <laughs> I want to just say I like how Juggernaut like calls Jean Cyclops' girl. Like he already knows what's up. Like, why doesn't Scott and Jean know this? He's got the subtext. Yeah. No. He, and he's been yeah. gone for years. Yeah, he's been in a basement. <laughs> he's been in a coma for years. <laughs> Cyclops has his hand on Gene's shoulder just so he can read the signals. <laughs> right, that's right. It must mean something. So then it's Cyclops versus the Juggernauts. Marvel Girl is escaping. She can't climb the ramp because it's a stupid slippery ramp. She can't climb. Thank God she can levitate herself. I was going to say, she can levitate. Yes, she can levitate with this like weird little mincing step. Like you look in the center panel of this page, and this is page nineteen, and she's like, like, she's like, she looks like the bad guy creeping. Like, yes, yes, she does. Uh, yeah. So Scott's having a moment of panic because his force beam is just not doing it. But he's like, it's okay. At least Jean's gonna be safe, which is sweet. He's having all sorts of little sweet, tiny internal observations, internal being a problem. And then, oh no, Juggernaut knows what you th you're thinking. He can read your minds. Uh, and Because the telepathic Juggernaut's a really scary Juggernaut. Yes. Yep. And uh, I guess he hammers, I think he's hammering, I guess he must be hammering got there because he ends up on the ground in the next part of the panel and then it's just gene now only the female mutant is left to oppose me like oh no scott was closer to the blow than i was and he was knocked out as long as one x-man is left you won't you haven't won juggernaut and he's like you're blindly optimistic even in the face of hopeless odds it's like maybe Maybe. I'm not sure how his, like the connection between the fist and knocking her off the ramp. But... It was like a, it was like a sonic vibration that like okay. distracted her. It's clobbering time. <laughs> <laughs> and then all it takes to zap Gina or to knock Gina out is one little telepathic zap and she's done. But uh, what stops Juggernaut from killing the X-Men at the last minute? There is a telepathic summons from Factor 3 uh, all the way from Europe. They're like, Juggernaut, you must come and join us at our secret base. We're the ones that freed you. I like how they tell him to steal a jet. <laughs> <laughs> yes, just go steal a transatlantic Yeah, just go steal a jetliner and come to us. <laughs> then fly it to our secret base. And then instead of killing the X-Men, Juggernaut just smashes his way free because he, you know, property, he and property, he just like punches his way through. Why use a door when you can, you know, create a cartoon version of you like in the wall? You just smash through it. <laughs> uh, uh, the, the basement has become flooded 
uh, my basement is flooded right now. I'm, I'm just kidding. Oh, uh, <laughs> I have had that happen before. It's not fun. Nothing's <laughs> from the East Coast. East Coast. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the uh, the X Men all wake up and they're in water. They find Professor X knocked out, literally just laying in a pool. And uh, <laughs> Jean Grey's like finds the switch that turns the ramp back into stairs, so that they yeah, can all climb back up. <laughs> <laughs> they get Professor X into a little comfy bed to make sure he's okay. Uh, uh, and then they've got to go find the Juggernaut because they're really afraid about what's going to happen. Juggernaut's just stomping through the woods. He's going to go find a jet to get to Factory <laughs> in Europe. That's the big plan. And it, we end on a cliffhanger going into the next issue. It's, uh, it's kind of an intense ending. The X-Men got their asses handed to them. Um, what did you guys think of this this battle between Juggernaut and the teens at the end? And he took them out way too easy. <laughs> I think they got a little like cocky from like the pre-battle before. And so they came home and they're like, yeah, we can handle this. And then they got handed. They were all like full of birthday cake and <laughs> Yeah, they had that sugar high, you know, then they had their like after dates. So they were all like high on sugar and <laughs> adrenaline and, from yeah. playing the biker game. Yeah. Sugar, adrenaline, and then like first kisses and stuff. So But it's nice parody, like not as in joke, but in as in an equivalency. Like you've got two fights in the issue and one goes really well for them. And then you have the next fight, which goes really terribly for them, and you see the same moves that they use used against them except for the, you know, the ramp thing. And it's just like from a, from a, from a setup perspective, I kind of like that. It's like, oh, you guys really should have seen that coming. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and in a weird way, Professor X, and I'll ask if you guys feel bad for him in this issue, but he's kept this big secret from the X-Men. They all come home and they're attacked in their own home because the secret he's been keeping goes wrong. Every time he keeps a big secret from the team, it never ends well. And this is yet another example of that. Do you guys uh, do you guys feel bad for him here? Can you really ever feel bad for Professor X? No, secrets <laughs> don't make friends. Like, no. I guess it's kind of, you know, he's... It's kind of sweet that they're all worried about him at the end and he's barely clinging to life through sheer willpower. And what are they all about to do? They're all about to take off. Like there's nothing we can do except leave him here in his bed. I think he's faking it. No, I'm just kidding. He lost his power. <laughs> he tried, he tried, but he kept it secret again. It's, that's his big downfall as a character. Is he he has things go wrong over and over again. We also have to note this was Iceman's 18th birthday. Surprise party, attacked by a motorcycle gang, first kiss with a girlfriend. Like things are kind of going great. And then he gets home and just gets smashed and everybody's knocked unconscious and the basement gets flooded. Like, poor guy. <laughs> that's, that's a, that's like a, a real birthday. Yeah. I mean, the way you describe it, like getting smashed and like the basement gets flooded, that sounds like a gnarly <laughs> house party to me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, uh, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a terrible birthday, though. Poor guy. <laughs> I almost feel like the most momentous thing that happens in this issue is Scott and Jean kind of intensify their relationship a little bit which is uh which is a really key moment i think for them which is it's cute uh uh in the current comics kath i don't know if you're reading but scott and gene are in a thruple with wolverine 
the three of them are all romantically linked. Did you oh know my that? God. I didn't know that. That makes me really happy. <laughs> I was going to ask how you feel about that. Oh, it's something that should have happened like 20 years ago. Holy smokes. Yeah, having been a reader in the 90s, all I can say is good. <laughs> I hope they're all really enjoying themselves and each other because talk about pining. Uh, <laughs> Justin and Michelle, I assume you guys are reading the current era of X-Men. We we read, I've read parts and then we watch a lot of YouTube that explains it to us because there's so much. So one of my favorite moments on the podcast of all time happened in our last episode. We had Ben Rabon who uh, wrote Excalibur for a long time in the 90s. And one of the characters he wrote was Moira McTaggart. And I told him last week, you know, Moira has been revealed as a mutant and we talked about her power and he was like, what? <laughs> he was so, he was so <laughs> upset because he hasn't read the books in like 20 years. He had oh, this long like, conversation what? about Cotton It was amazing. <laughs> Um, as we as we as we look at the cover for next week, let me just hear some of your preliminary thoughts about the cover for X Men thirty three. Uh, it's the second part of the Juggernaut battle. It's called Into the Crimson Cosmos. Uh, we Ooh. see a massive Juggernaut fighting uh, Angel and Iceman with the heads of Beast, Marvel Girl, and Cyclops floating off to the side. Uh, any thoughts on this cover? <laughs> Pretty um, ominous. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, like. Juggernaut looks badass. Yeah, he does. Yeah, like, oh, oh, Jug gotcha. I, would, <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, I love no one more than Justin, of course, loves giant jugs. <laughs> <laughs> but I would presume, based on this cover, that Juggernaut turns into a giant in this issue, which he does not. It's just a perspective thing. Yeah. And he's showing that he's like. Getting more powerful. Getting more powerful, taking out all the X-Men. Maybe only have, them two left to fight him. We also get Doctor Strange next issue. He appears in the X-Men for the first time, which what? is kind of fun. That's all awesome. good. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, did you guys have a single favorite moment from this uh, from this issue? Either just wonderful or ridiculous? Ramp. <laughs> <laughs> Professor X's basement ramp. Yes. I'd say the ridiculous biker slang. The biker slang. <laughs> I, like they all had accents in my head as I was reading it. Like it was so funny. Were they British like, accents? I'm just kidding. Like I not maybe like British, but maybe like some kind of New York or Irish or I don't I don't know some kind of some kind of accent. It's, uh, I feel like it's, uh, it's, uh, like the characters from the newsies, like that's what comes into my head. Like, okay, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. Uh, what a delight! I hope you guys had a good time. Uh, for a lot of people, they've never read the 60s comics, so even picking one up, it shows you just how crazy it was back then. And this is like the foundation that our beloved characters were built on, you know, all these, all these years later. Um, uh, I hope you had fun reading and, and just kind of nerding out with me today. Um, where can people find each of you online? And is there anything coming up for each of you that we should be looking forward to? Uh, let's go Michelle, Justin, and then Kat. Um, well, I'm online as uh, Michelle Waffle O, both on Instagram and now Twitter. Just join the Twitterverse. I'm not sure what I'm doing there, but if you want to tweet me at me or 
whatever, however it works, I'm more than happy to uh, follow back and tweet with you. We also have a joint Instagram account, Adventures in Geekdom, where we chronicle our massive collection of action figures, comic books, uh, just general like toy hunting adventures, con, cosplay, con events, like things we do. Um, Justin mostly manages it and I just kind of co-manage a little when I'm like, hey, you should should post something, it's been five days. (laughs) But yeah, it's just for us both to like chronicle stuff like that that's not my personal cosplay or justin's instagram he doesn't he doesn't post a lot but and justin where can people find you oh so you can check me out on the adventures in geekdom or my personal account is jt underscore otero and that's kind of just uh i post once in a while it's not too much but it's just my personal stuff. He's just there for the tags. Just there for the tags. I think he states that in his bio. <laughs> right I'm in just bio. here for the tags. <laughs> and everyone check them out. Michelle and Justin are two of the prettiest people I have ever laid eyes on. And your cosplay oh, is really no. lovely. And and uh, and for you guys are like super intelligent and charming and delightful. And how fun to just talk and nerd out with you today. I'm so happy you were here. Oh, uh, thank you for having us. This I'm was so fun. Yeah, this, this was, was great. Uh, Kath, where can people find you? Um, so mostly on Twitter at author underscore Kari Z because I can't stomach making another Twitter. So Kari Z is the person who writes nothing but gay and queer fiction. And then she also is associated with Kath Loria and Aconite. So I started, yeah, yeah. I started writing in a time when it was like, you should have a pen name if you're going to write that. And so I was like, oh, okay. I need to read more of your, I need to read more of your gay stuff. <laughs> oh my God. I have so much, almost everything I write is gay. That's actually one of the reasons Elsa Bloodstone was so weird for me. It's like, nobody's gay. This is not my happy place. How funny that this is like, not even a little. This is like a gay podcast, but X-Men podcast mostly. So I, I didn't read your gay stuff. I just read your X-Men stuff. No, that's cool. <laughs> and that's totally cool. But it's like, I'm super happy that this is a gay podcast because it's fascinating looking at some of these and thinking about Iceman and now you've got me going in all these different directions. But yeah, so mostly I write, I write gay and lesbian and queer and all sorts of um, genre fiction. And then I just happen to also get into writing with Aconite and start and get into IP work where they're like, here's your straight property. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) what do I do? I guess she's going to fight some more monsters. (laughs) She's not going to have a date. (laughs) I don't like any of the guys. I don't like any of the guys. Yeah. So black cat, please check out the black cat book when it comes out because she's, much more in touch with her inner, I can just be whatever I want to be and don't have to lie about it. This is New York City. You know, he's cute. She's cute. They're cute. We're all cute. Oh, it's it such a different world where we have active out queer characters and queer fiction. And uh, the fact that we can analyze 60 books and look for queer themes, uh, it's, it's a wonderful time to be alive. Um, and thank you for all the work you're doing. Uh, and for your valuable time, for all three of you spending it with me this evening. Uh, my name is Chad Anderson. I'm the host of Grand Malcolm Lane. Obviously, I keep my own personal uh, social media private because I've got kids. But you can find me on Grand Malcolm PP like podcast on Twitter and on Grand Malcolm Lane on Instagram. We are regularly posting content. 
from the issues that we're reviewing and having lots of discussions and polls and things like that. So reach out and chat anytime. We are going to be back here next week. Uh, oh, you guys, you guys, you guys, we have so many incredible guests coming up. Uh, in our next episode, we're going to be reviewing X-Men number 33 called Into the Crimson Cosmos with, are you ready? Are you ready? Uh, the X-Men group editor, Jordan White, is joining us, which I'm like, ah, like I'm so excited and nervous all at the same time. Uh, what an honor to uh, to be associating with such talented and incredible people. Uh, so Justin, Michelle, Kath, thank you all for being here this evening. Uh, what a wonderful time. Uh, it's been an honor to nerd out with you tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Uh, we'll see you guys back next time on uh, Grand Mall Lane.